my god, we didn't even talk about Orange. Ugh. We've talked about Orange in other shows. So. Fine. Okay. If, like a multiple shoujo animes that pissed me the fuck off because I don't think they're actually as good as everyone puts them out to be, or like they weren't as good as like other show like romantic comedies. One, Blue Spring Ride. Two, Orange. Three, I Say I Love You. Four, definitely Mashiro Symphony pissed me the fuck off. Five, Clanad was okay. Not gonna lie, it was okay. Wow. I cried a little bit for the one main girl. I don't cry for the one that that Elastora cries for constantly. <laughs> I literally watched that series just to watch him cry. Hello and welcome back to Applied Anime. I'm Dodo Ballet. And I'm Feon. Join us as we jump in the deep end and dissect our favorite shows. As always, we want to hear from you. Our podcast is hosted on anchor.fm slash applied-anime. You can find us on our website at appliedanime.weebly.com. And from the poem page of that website, you can join our Discord. Or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash appliedanime. Spoiler alert! In this week's episode, we're spoiling Darling in the Frogs, Quintessential Quintuplets, Assassination Classroom, Sword Art Online, Tokyo Ghoul, Rent-A-Girlfriend, Dr. Stone, Demon Slayer, and Tony Kala Over the Moon for you. And we have a content warning for suicide, graphic violence, and sexual assault. So, Fayan, what are we discussing today? Today's topic is overrated anime. this episode i just want to preface that when we say something is overrated it's more so the fact that the series has been so boosted is that a good word people give the series more credit than it necessarily deserves but that doesn't mean it's bad yeah not that it's not like these series are getting ones on my list but like they're not getting the top tier like i don't know i don't see these series as amazing as other people see them but to be fair i want to also preface that a lot of these series are ones that people start with for watching anime these are like their gateways it's a lot easier to judge an anime and think it's amazing when it's one of your first Mm -hmm. um, compared to when you've seen a few things and you're like oh okay this song and dance again right i know i was that way with no game no life i was totally enamored by it yes because it was the first Mm -hmm. or like i feel like a lot of these series have interesting premises and then they're mm-hmm. just not executed to the point of like, wow, this was really good. This was amazing and culturally like open floodgates of some sort of feeling compared to like just kind of being another like an isekai or just another rom-com or just another harem series. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I also want to say that there are definitely a lot of popular shows that we think do deserve the credit that they get. Yes. Obviously, if you listen to our second episode you know that we are big fans of bunny girl senpai Mm -hmm. i think we both we both enjoy love is war you watch season two do need to watch season two it's on funimation that's so much harder Mm -hmm. 
I I think we both love Death Note as well. And Death Note's very popular. And also Your Lion April. Like, there's a lot of shows that we do enjoy that are really <laughs> well made. Yeah, so we're being very defensive about that right out the gate. Yeah, I mean, if you want to flame us, flaming is equivalent to getting views, so... Exactly. This is our personal opinions on certain shows. If you like the show, you can love it. I know that everyone's not a fan of Love Live, which I don't get, but I can respect their opinions. Exactly. So if you want to yell at us, join our Discord and yell at us in the group chat because it would be kind of a fun conversation. Mm-hmm. And to put that, um, Dodo did mention that there are a lot of good shows that are like newer shows. It's not just like older shows like Death Note and Full Metal Alchemist and like Inuyasha, but there's also some new good ones coming out too that I'm actually pretty excited about. I, I tried to watch four different series for this podcast that had like that were pretty popular in the past while because I haven't been watching as much anime due to school. And I'll say that two out of the four i can't even put into this show because they were actually good series which which series were those um the four series that i watched were i started off with assassinations classroom i watched darling in the Bronx, i watched quintessential quintuplets and then i finished off just this like five hours ago on rent a girlfriend i will say the two that i cannot like talk about in this type of context would be darling in the Bronx. And quintessential quintuplets. Because the, because you think that they deserve the credit that they get. I mean, I thought they were actually good shows. I think that Darling the Franks had, like, a questionable ending. Which, it did finish before its manga did. And, like, what, like, director doesn't just randomly put their characters in this space at the end of it, honestly. But I think the build-up and the characters and everything was just so amazing. Like, I found my favorite, one of my new favorite characters who's actually a short-haired girl, because I usually don't go for those. (laughs) That sounds really wrong to say. I usually don't appreciate the short-haired girl characters as much. And I love Ichigo. I mean, I know that it's not a common thought, or like it's not the popular opinion, but I like Ichigo more than Zero Two. I thought that Zero Two became really tame in the second half. But like Ichigo is such a strong character. I thought that she had such great development throughout the beginning to the end. She really was just... Not only did she like learn that she was in love, she recognized those feelings, realized that she could never get the love that she wanted, and then she moved on. Like, even that alone is such a strong arc for a character, especially in an anime where harems are so prevalent. Mm -hmm. The second series that I can't add is Quintessential Quintuplets, which was... Both of these series were kind of on my radar. Um, I just never got around to Darling, and I'm glad that I got to because of this series. But for quintessential quintuplets, I saw the premise, and I was like, as someone who watches a lot of harems, I was just not interested. I was like, this is this kind of sounds dumb. This kind of looks dumb. So I was going into it whole hog, hoping that I would hate the series and be able to add it to this. Just maybe for the ratings, it's fine. But I actually really enjoyed it. I thought that it was a really well-written harem series for... What, what has been coming out lately. Like, there's definitely series that are kind of, eh, this is okay. But, like, as a flat-out harem series, it was fun. Each girl has their own personality. The main guy character is fun to watch. And, like, this interaction between, like, the really studious guy versus the five girls that can't study at all. And, like, him kind of learning how to interact with others but also figure out that it's okay to have, like, fun and enjoy life where they're all very passionate about what they do. And now they have to try and figure out one, how to live in harmony where they all kind of like the same guy. And two, like 
pursuing their own dreams through studying and like everything like that like the girls themselves are just the generic tropes like you have the shy girl you have the tsundere you have the eating girl you have eating the girl. i mean you always have an eating girl i mean sometimes like they're mixed but like you have an eating girl you have the girl who's really hyper and then you have like the mature um sexy one mm-hmm. and like the show itself just has a really fun combination with all of them and it's just really fun to watch and like the whole like every other generic harem of course the guy ends up like they hint that the guy ends up with one of the girls but because they're like actually quintuplets and they have like this whole wedding scene that you see from the beginning to the end like the first episode is like the start of their wedding and then you kind of see more of it as on the last episode even if they show you the face of her right they show you the face of the girl and you just don't know who it is because they all have the same face (laughs) but like she doesn't have like the normal hairstyle either of like one of the girls because they all have like five different hairstyles and this like running gag in the show is that if they try and like make the hairstyle of one of the other girls, the all the other like characters in the show are confused and don't know which like of the quintuplets they're looking at. But like as a viewer, you know who it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just it's so much fun in that way. Like they really use the quintuplet trope like idea really well in that series, while also making it a really fun and interesting harem. So I have good praises for that show, and I'm really looking forward to season two next season, next like anime cycle. All right, you spend a little bit of time talking about series you do like, but you mentioned Assassination Classroom and Rented Girlfriend. So let's start with Ass Class. You suggested that I watch this one. Yes, I suggested you watch it in preparation for this podcast episode. Mm-hmm. So you want my opinions on it? Is that what yeah, you're trying yeah, to get me? me? Got it. Okay, so. It. I'm going to preface this with, I can understand if it's like one of your first series and you're watching this and you're like, oh my God, anime is funny. I like this show. Um, I made it through three episodes of a 26 episode series and I'm not one to drop series. I really hate dropping any anime that I like start watching, but oh my God, I could not watch past like three episodes. This show was utter trash and I don't understand how people like it. Like... The whole premise of the series is there's this space alien tentacle-like creature that has come down. He has destroyed half the moon, threatens to destroy the Earth. His only conditions that are the, the conditions he's made for allowing like the world essentially to kill him because all like the high like the people in high politics know that this guy exists. Like nobody else knows why the moon was destroyed. Is he goes to this specific like school with this class of kids that are like outcasts because they have bad grades Mm -hmm. and he teaches them like a normal teacher but they're the whole class's assignment before like the end of the year is to kill him so they have to like they use these like guns with special pellets that only do damage to him and they all try and like try and outwit him but it's not like the entire show's around them outwitting this teacher like the entire show is more so based on this teacher accepting these outcasts while all of society just doesn't give a shit about them. Mm-hmm. It's just so over the top. The gags are like consistently the same. And like the sad part is that it has a decent premise that they could have really played with, but they make it so boring because they say the same jokes over and over. Like you, every single episode, sorry, I think I actually watched six episodes of this. I don't know how, but I did. <laughs> At least in four or five out of the six episodes I watched, like, besides the first one, I guess, because that doesn't really count, they introduced a new character. 
every episode. Like, it wasn't even like, oh, hey, we have this whole new setting to play around with, with all these different students. But, like, not even the students that are in the class. They kept on bringing new people in from outside the class. Mm-hmm. And then, on top of that, the, the main guy character, who is, like, this blue-haired kid named Misaki. Sorry, Misaka. Nasagi. He's observing the teacher and, like, makes notes and is like, oh, my God, this guy has this little, like, quirk. Because, like, he changes colors depending on his mood. And that's literally his his only purpose as, like, a main character is he's just kind of an observer. Which is fine, but, like... It's just so I can't even explain how flat this show is mm-hmm. like it's just so boring because they bring up the same jokes over and over again. There's this new hot teacher that shows up who's teaching them English. Her name sounds a lot like bitch. So they all call her bitch oh, like yeah. constantly. And like that's the long running gag. They say it, that joke maybe like 20 times within three episodes. And I'm like, OK, we get it. Her name is bitch like ha ha funny ha ha ha. And then, like, the school itself is on this, like, system. It was kind of interesting. Like, they, they're they like, yeah, about 10% of the students are going to fail. But if we really hard fail and make it so awful for the 10%, then everybody else will try their hardest not to become that. Okay, cool. But then everybody is, like, literally trash to these people that, like, were just, like, with them in classes. And then when they fall into, like, the F class or, like, this whatever special class it's called. I honestly don't remember at this point they are just treated awfully and they get bullied and like now they're all mad because the teacher's teaching them how to like actually defend themselves and not act like they're the worst human beings on earth Mm -hmm. and then the principal is like oh my god we can't have this these people can't fight back they have to be like the lowest of the low Mm -hmm. you're like okay we get it like these kids are seen as dirt oh my god the the worst part i think was episode four or five where the teacher goes out into the middle of the grassy area and he's like, we're going to make a field, like a sports field. And then they didn't even do anything with it. <laughs> he just makes, he literally makes this entire like field and then like nothing happens at all. I was like, what is the point of this? Yeah, I, I definitely, I agree with you on pretty much all of that. The This is a show I watched fairly early on in my anime watching career and even then i was surprised at the sort of blandness of the characters and like how sort of cardboard cut out they were and i did watch the whole thing but the whole time i was just thinking wow this is this is very like mediocre like these characters they do develop over time and i think that's probably one of the biggest strengths of the show the students interacting with this with the teacher and like learning confidence um through this unusual teaching methods. This is basically uh, less interesting, less educational magic school bus in a way. It's supposed to be more entertaining, but I don't think it actually is. But but again, I do think that the premise is is super cool. I really like the premise as a as an idea. I just I don't know if it was just badly written. I yeah, I I don't know what held it back. Like I said, the jokes were like, like for being a comedy, like it was clearly supposed to be a comedy, but mm-hmm. the jokes were just so boring. Like they made the same jokes over and over. And Slice of Life is a very popular genre. And there's a lot of shows that are able to take like this sort of context and just run with it. Mm-hmm. So a show that came out five years prior to this that I thought actually was funnier than um, Ass Class was Baka to Test. Sorry, Baka and Test, Summon the Beast. So it's about this, these, um, there's a school 
And depending on how well you do on, like, the entrance exam, you get put into classes A through F. They have these, like, it's kind of like games or, like, competitions between classrooms. Like, you, if you have a class challenge another class, they can get some of the cool stuff in the top class versus the lower class. And so, like, A class has, like, all the really fancy stuff because they deserve to be, like, A-tier students, where the F class, like, literally sits on pillows. They have broken desks and, like, you know, the, the mm-hmm. works for being the worst class. And then you have, like, the main character who's just, like, the absolute worst in this class. Like, he has one of the lowest scores. He's an idiot. And when you're in, when you're so stupid, they actually summon these, like, creatures to fight each other. Like, they're, like, little chibi forms of the characters. Usually they don't become a physical entity that you can, like, interact with. But in his case, it is. And if that thing takes damage, he feels the pain, too, sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But essentially the show is just... These students trying to prove themselves as like F class characters to the other classes that are higher than them. We'll just mm-hmm. put it that way. And so it's just really fun. Like it's the same ish idea, but taken in such a fun twist and like using it and just running with that idea. But it's it's good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if I went back if I would think it's as good as I did because like I said it was an early like I don't think it was early early when I watched it but it was definitely within that realm of time where I was watching shows and like oh my god any anime I touch is god tier sort of like everyone goes through that phase I think another really good slice of life series about just like kids being at school and interacting with each other is an older one called School Rumble which I made Dodo watch pretty early in his anime career and i think he really liked that one i think the jokes Mm -hmm. are just super great in that show it really plays off of character development like you almost never see new characters show up when you do like they just really intertwine with the rest of them really easily but like you feel like you're growing with these characters for the two full seasons you're watching it too yeah and just like with assassinations classroom i just Felt no connection to the characters, no connection to what the situation was. I just did not care. I really wanted to just binge watch the whole thing and just be done with it. But I also didn't want to binge watch 20 more episodes of this freaking shit because I knew nothing was going to get better six episodes in. Yeah. So yeah, that was my that was my impression of ass class. (laughs) It was ass. The other thing that I just want to mention briefly before we move on is that the sort of mystery of like the the alien element of the teacher really to my uh like they try to hint at it a lot and i think they mm. start to kind of uncover it near the end i see i don't even remember but all i remember is that that backstory really is not very interesting in the first place um obviously with a comedy you're not going to get like a super in-depth sci-fi explanation that's really like whoa this is mind-blowing like Obviously, the the premise is more important. The the setup, the interaction with the characters is more important, which is fine. But it's just like the backstory feels superfluous, but it also feels like it needs to be explained at the same time. So it's kind of just it sets itself up for for failure in that regard. Mm -hmm. All I remember from the backstory is that he actually is from Earth and he comes from like the deep oceans where he like found this woman at one point and talked to her who happened to be like the teacher of the f class or whatever at one point and that's about it it's about as far as i got and i was like i just don't care <laughs> yeah the only show i really watched in preparation for this was sword art online which 
To be fair, I probably should have watched this a while ago, considering how popular it is and how it's, you know, definitely something I would be interested in, especially because I watched Shield, uh, Rising of the Shield Hero for our previous podcast episode, which has definitely been compared to SAO for obvious reasons. They're both shows that deal with a character being sucked into a virtual, sort of a virtual reality world. Um, SAO is explicitly virtual reality. Shield Hero is more more so a, a different dimension that takes on the characteristics of a video game. But both of them are there, are stuck there involuntarily, at least in the first half of SAO. And those characters have to deal with that situation and try to come on on top basically well i want to also point out that both of them become outcasts is the big thing too i thought that the outcasting in sao was so piss poor compared to the amount of preparation and how well shield heroes out like him becoming an outcast was in comparison because like Mm -hmm. a lot of the things with sao that i've come to realize after i think i've seen it now at least maybe two times or i've seen it fully once and then like seen spigots here and there and don't get me wrong like i used to be i still think sao is a fun show um i actually put it as a 10 on my anime list after watching it i don't think it was during that era but like i thought that the premise was really interesting and i mean i love asuna so who doesn't love that but rewatching it kind of like with no game no life the the amount of time the author spends on each section is just so fast. Like the fact that we just blaze through most of the first part of the first season, I think it's, was it Alkanize? What's the world called? Einclad. Einclad. Okay. Well, we just like fly through the first part of the first season though, still, no matter what, like, yes, they, I think the premise was really well put down. And then I think I remember Dodo texting me like, from like one episode to another, they skip like 30 or 50 floors. Okay, so just to very briefly re- to summarize Sword Art Online, 10,000 players get stuck in this online virtual reality game where they cannot exit the game. There's no mechanic to do so. And their, their virtual reality gear in real life is like locked into their brain in some way so that basically it would kill them if, they tr- if anyone tried to take it off of them. And so the only way to be able to leave the virtual reality game is to conquer each of the 100 floors in this world of Einkrad. And so you like start at the bottom floor and it's like, and when I say floor, I mean, it's like a huge, like miles and miles of in-game. It's very large, but you have to go up each floor and there's a boss for each floor in order to be able to leave the game. And it's not that you have to do it yourself. It's just that someone has to be able to beat the game. Um, so a lot of the players try to work together. They form guilds to try to conquer. And like guilds game. work together too. It's not just like one person goes, like one guild goes in at a time. They like work together right. as a team. Yeah. Oh, and I should also say, I'm I'm talking about the first season. I have not seen past the first season. So this is what I'm judging based on personally. So... By the end of episode two, they kill the first floor boss. So I'm like, okay, so if this is like a 25 episode series, we're probably on pace. If we like, obviously we're going to skip a lot of floors. We could probably pace this out for them to get to the hundredth floor by the end of the series pretty reasonably. 
Um, that's what I was just like saying in my head. Then episode three comes and we are just taken on a wild ride through um, uh, months and months and months of Kirito being in this game and like joining up with a guild and um, and then by the end of this episode we're already at floor 50. Floor 50. We take two episodes to get to yes I know we got to establish the premise and everything but in a single episode we we conquer 49 floors after having just taken two episodes to conquer the first and in this time it's not just that we we skip ahead in time it's that we skip over so much of Kirito's development in the game. He forms up with the skilled and, you know, they're just very like bland, like, oh, we were friends in high school and we're good people because we're not outwardly bad people. We're just like nice to each other and we work together and teamwork and friendship. It's like, okay, so this isn't going to last. And sure enough, it doesn't. They get trapped and everyone dies, including this one girl that Kirito feels a need to protect for some reason. Oh, I think one of the members of the guild like was like, hey, you should protect her, blah, blah, blah. Because, you know, she's completely, she doesn't know what she's doing, um, even though she more or less does. Um, and then she dies. So we get introduced to this character, and then like 10 minutes later she dies, and I have no reason to care about her whatsoever. So I was laughing, and I think from what it sounds like, a lot of other people were laughing too when she died, because there's just no emotional investment whatsoever in this character. And I like I think they did probably the best they could with with trying to throw this in as fast as they could, but you just can't do do that level of investment where you you kill off a character and really give a shit about it in that short of short amount of time. Especially when I'm trying to figure out what the hell is going on, who these other characters are. We see this one random scene where this guy, he like Kirito is like talking to this guy, and this guy just like goes up on the fucking uh, balcony and just like throws himself off of it into the abyss and kills himself. And Kirito's like, ah, I'm so traumatized by this. It's like, okay, yeah, but I'm sure there's something about this in the light novel, but never explained in the show whatsoever. It's just this random guy committing suicide and Kirito happens to be there and witness it. I assume it's there to show like people getting getting tired of the game. Yeah, they're losing hope. They don't think, obviously, none of them signed up for this. And so this guy kills himself. But like, again, like, I have, I have no reason to be invested in this whatsoever. But it gets better after that, I think, too. I, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt for that episode just because, sure, whatever. You need to you need to skip time. I thought it was a badly done episode, but whatever. I do want to preface this with, like, I've also only seen the first two seasons because I kind of refused to watch season three until after watching the movie, which I know mm-hmm. is kind of illogical because I think the movie doesn't really matter in the context of time for SAO as, like, an entire fandom. But... Um, I do remember hearing some reviews where people were saying that the author does a really poor job of like really writing the series until it hits season three, where it's not just all about, oh, Kirito's going into this game. Oh, Kirito's a badass. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, there's a girl. Oh my God, this girl likes Kirito. And then like throughout, like ever since like the first, and like the fa- the sad part is, is that they established that Kirito and Asuna is canon by mm-hmm. like, the first part of the first season. Can I just emphasize that? First part of the first season. And he still has a harem the entire time. Like, literally yeah. the second season is all, like, him going after Asuna. Yay, cool. He gets to be the knight in shining <laughs> armor that we all didn't need because Asuna's a badass bitch that doesn't need anyone saving her. Except just she gonna put that does, out apparently. There. Well, yeah, when she's stuck in a cage. But, like, 
which he even finds a way to escape and then the slug people that that we can get into that later that was all bad yay the tentacle scene and then oh the creepy guy but like that was so gratuitous you haven't even seen it but like season two he gets thrown into another game right mm-hmm. in which this girl like it's funny because like he looks like a girl haha ha, he's a he looks like a girl but he's a guy and then he meets this other girl character who like completely falls in love with him is all over him and you're like you have asana like what the fuck are you doing and people the worst part is people ship him with like Shinon, who's the new character in part two of season one mm-hmm. or like the fact that people ship kirito with others than just Asuna. i mean that's gonna be normal but for like the amount of people that like there's a lot of argument with it i feel like like you can mm-hmm. actually argue that he might be interested in all these other girls and it's just annoying and like even if you yeah. watch the special like they're all literally hovering and wait until Asta and him break up and they can just jump him. Like honestly, that's how it feels consistently. Cause they'll be like, oh my god, Asta and Kirito are having a cute moment. Oh, cool. We'll just kind of be over here watching from the sidelines, kind of hoping that you guys fight or something, because don't worry, we're here for you. In yeah. case they do. The whole harem thing really just again, it feels gratuitous and it it's just it's obnoxious and and well, think about not... how many episodes they wasted on it because mm-hmm. you get one full episode per girl and then asana gets more than like gets like th- three four i'm not complaining about that because i love her but like for the amount of other things that could definitely be happening in this series not my type top priority like i would have loved to see more of klein is that the red hair guy's name yeah we barely see him he just shows up randomly he's an actually pretty cool character but he just kind of shows up here and there, and you're like, okay, well, I don't know if I needed, like, two, three episodes of them having a honeymoon pl- slash getting a child, but, like, I guess we're here. Okay, you know, I, I'm I'm realizing something about a lot of these characters, now that you bring up Klein. The writers seem to think that through repetition over time, that means investment in the character. Like, oh, we see this guy again. We see bartender guy again. Here he is again. He's a good guy. He says nice things to Kirito and their friends. Do they do anything together that really makes me feel like I should care about them? Sure, they fight together sometimes. Other than that, mm, no. Same thing with like blacksmith girl who really like gets her time in the sun and then never really matters again. And especially again, like with the girl who dies in the ambush why does she matter at all like yeah she gives kirito a a reason to feel guilty like oh i should have saved her but like other than that like she does not matter at all yeah it's it's just like showing you faces over and over again that you know are like good guys allies but i don't have any reason to feel like i'm really friends with these people like same thing if i'm seeing them through kirito's eyes same thing with like the allies in the fairy world like oh we're friends with the cat people we're friends with the the sylvans or whatever okay but nobody cares at all i'm not invested in this world because kirito's sole focus is to get to the tree he's an outcast the whole time he has like one friend who also has a huge crush on him who is also his biological cousin and socially his sister trying to get over him irl Mm mm-hmm at least in the first half of the series you're invested in the world right like you're there constantly it's an absolutely freaking gorgeous world absolutely beautiful and 
you can't get out of it. You're there and the guilds actually matter. Like the guild politics actually matter. Now, I agree that like the whole like politics and outcast thing was done way, way, way better in Shield Hero. However, at least it still matters in the first half of this season one. Second half of the season, I have no investment in the, the politics of these nine different factions whatsoever. And it gets kind of thrown in there as like a way to make Kirito to like show his honor. Like I'm an outcast, but I'm going to work with the, the, the Sylvans. Why? Because I have no reason. I'm just, oh, oh and by the way, here's a ton of money, Catgirl. Um, and of course it, it ends up paying off for him. But like, yeah, it's, there's no investment in a lot of, a lot of that environment in the second half. I feel like SAO is almost like watching a bunch of bullet points. Mm, mm-hmm. Cause like, it just doesn't go, it doesn't go in as in depth as it could have to make it like, why wouldn't they have tried to make the series longer? Like think of how much context this guy's amazing at building worlds too. Like I have no complaints about each world that he's made, honestly, like they're oh, all yeah. really cool and really amazing. And the whole concept's amazing. Mm-hmm. His characters suck. But, like, characters are such a core part of the series. And, like, the story with the characters just were so bad in comparison to how amazing these worlds were. Mm-hmm. Just putting it down and out there, guys. Yep. Sorry. No, you're, right. You're, you're right, though. And this thing is, like, literally number three popularity on my anime list, though. Or, like, it has that. It's popularity number three. I'm looking at it right now. I don't know. This is why, I like think shield hero is such a good show i to be fair in my opinion i don't i know that dota wasn't like a huge fan of shield hero i know that a lot of politics of the politics did bother him but at the same time as someone who's seen a lot more isekais than him i think that shield hero does a really good job of like isekai that goes above and beyond what any other isekai has done before like, the characters are amazing. The world is amazing. The complications between characters are amazing. Yes, there are slow episodes. Don't get me wrong. Like, the whole, like, between Philo and, like, the Priest episode was pretty long. Oh, the the Philo episode was long. I can forgive that when I know, like, other series has al- have also had, like, kind of those, like... Like, it was almost as if Shield Hero had to fill in the time so they just, like, dragged it out longer, mm-hmm. which was a little bit too sad. Because, like, honestly, the series, like, could have ended probably with the whole trial scene which i don't really want to spoil for people who haven't seen it because the trial is amazing and funny and i love it Mm -hmm. but like they even like kind of have this conclusion and then you still get like two more two three more episodes Mm -hmm. and you're like i don't hate it but it feels kind of weird to end on this note actually now that you mention it i think there is one like one thing i want to point out that i think is to sao's credit is that i don't feel like it was ever really slow actually I think sometimes it went too fast, but there weren't times when I felt like, okay, we need to pick up the pace here. The story isn't moving along. I always felt like the story was at least moving, maybe with the exception of the the conflict between the Salamanders and the Sylvans, which had no meaning whatsoever. But other than that, I felt like things moved. Like, And even if you were doing like, like early on and in the first half, you're doing this sort of episodic things where it's like, oh, let's solve the murder mystery. Uh, let's let's help out this person. At least like things like it's interesting, like it's pulling you in and you're learning more about the world. So I think that's to its credit, at least. There is one thing I wanted to talk about with Sword Art Online, which really from the outset is something that I hated 
and I thought I would hate less as it went on, but I only hated it more. And it just got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse as the series went on. And I just couldn't believe how bad it got in terms of writing. Um, and that is the character of Yui. Yui is an AI, kind of, that appears in episode 11. So Kirito and Asuna are in their little honeymoon cabin. And they're like, they see like this girl in the forest and she like faints or whatever. And so they like go help her. And they're trying to like figure out like what's her deal. She's this like little girl, like she shouldn't be in the game. Um, she's too young. And so they like go down to the first floor where there's like all these kids that are being taken care of that like somehow were accidentally in the game. And so people are there like taking care of them, making sure they're not in danger, which is like cool. And so they ask around. No one knows what the deal is with this little kid. Then they get in a situation. I forget how. I don't really care where they're fighting this big bad monster and they're getting their ass kicked. Um, and then, of course, Yui comes, who is the little kid. She like barely speaks before this. She like does this like crazy magic thing. She like floats around and she like kicks the shit out of the the big bad monster. And they're like, whoa, what's that all about? And so she explains, I'm an AI. I was created by the creator to like monitor people's emotions. But now I've been deactivated. And so all I can do is watch people's emotions. I can't actually help them with anything. It's like torture, but... I think somehow she escaped. I don't really remember. I think what happened was she was, she only felt like a little bit of po very positive emotion, which happened to be Kirito and Asuna in That's the honeymoon. Right. Yes. Yes. And then she just like, I don't think she intentionally did, but she just teleported to their area because of it. Because, because yeah. Okay, watching that, them. Yes, that's right. But then because of the, because like her using her power to fight the monster, like, exposed her to the developer or whatever the developer's like okay we're gonna shut you down now but then through some like magical bullshit she is able to like or like they're able to like keep a semblance of her and like a little a little charm a little locket no a little like a little necklace and they're like okay we saved like a, a essence of yui even though she's been destroyed oh and by the way i should mention this is very important that Yui refers to Kirito and Asuna as her mom and dad. Um, why? Because she's just very attached to them. Because they have emotions that are positive. And she's like, I love you so much. You're my parents now. And they're like, oh, well, we want to have a kid together. So Yui could God, be yeah, our, don't say our it little that kid. So and then when we get back to that's that's Kirito's no. dad. <laughs> And so when we when we get back to the real world, we're just gonna turn this essence of an AI into a real person, and just raise her as our own. That's gonna be our lovely little domestic life together. So Yui, just from the outset, just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I have no problem with taking liberties with AI, as I think we've discussed in our previous episode on AI and technology. You know, there's there's wiggle room there, obviously. There's wiggle room with any time you're doing sci-fi like this. But when when you use magic to invest emotion into a machine without explanation, not adequate explanation, she says, you know, I don't actually have emotion. I'm just an AI, so I really don't know what any of this means. Um, and yet, 
here I am feeling this emotion. Why do I feel this emotion? I don't know. Yes. And you know who else doesn't know? The writers, the, the producer, me as a viewer. Nobody knows. Why? Because it's just a very convenient like point plot for me to pretend to care about this character. There's no reason why this AI should have actual emotion. If you want to play with AI and like make an interesting statement about using AI, then you got to take, the, take it to its fullest extent and say, I don't have emotion, and that's the end of that. Let Kirito and Asuna, let their human emotion be the driving, the driving force of why I should feel invested in this thing, why I should feel this real sense of loss in this AI. Don't just attribute magic to it for the sake of having essentially another complicated human character because she's not human, she's an AI. If you want another complicated human character, just make another complicated human character. Don't make it an AI because now you're just cheating. And it gets worse. It gets worse because she comes back in the next world owned by a different company. And yes, they do explain it. Yeah, she's like this a, this file from the previous world and they like copied all the files from the previous world to create this new one. Okay, whatever. Again, there's some wiggle room. Fine, she's here. She's this stupid little fairy that sits in his pocket. And again, it's it's only for plot convenience when she doesn't know particular emotional things going on so like she's talking to leva chan who is his sister slash cousin in the game who has a huge crush on him and for some somehow they don't realize that it's each other at the at this time and so she's talking to this new version of yui who again we don't know how she was able to come back as more than like this essence that she was and she's like talking about how she like feels things for Kirito or whatever. And she's like, I don't understand that. Can you explain that to me? And so it's just like a way to like show Leafa's feelings for Kirito. But then she's still like the way that Yui communicates is still very emotional and still very like, I love daddy. I love mommy. Let's go save mommy. Which first of all, is just very annoying. Even if she wasn't an AI, like who likes that? I mean, I guess people are into that, but just like, it's just annoying. Not only does she is she able to switch hit with um, being emotional or being ignorant about emotions whenever she wants to or whenever it's convenient for the writers, better yet, she also has that same ability when it comes to helping Kirito get through the game. Um, this really comes to a head at the end of the first season where he and Leafa and Leafa's simp. I know you don't like that word, but that's the best word for it. Oh, that guy? Yeah. I when, those, when those three attack the whatever the final encounter is before you go up to get into the world tree. And so they're fighting off all these like enemies. And it's like it's swarms of thousands and thousands of enemies. Um, and they're able to break through with the help of their friends that they helped in the past, whatever. It's kind of dumb, but whatever, they're there, and it makes sense that they would show up, sure. So they get up to the top of this room, which is presumably the entrance into the world tree. Kirito is the only one who makes it, of course, um, but Yui is there with him, like, floating around. Mm -hmm. No one else makes it. Nope. Kirito sticks his sword into this entrance, like trying to wedge it open because it's like this sort of flower with like a little cross section in the middle. So he sticks oh, his he's sword in the breaking through the cervix. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. He's... Oh, okay. There you go. It's a sex metaphor. Got it. 
So he's trying to break it open and he can't. And it's like this big disappointment. Like, oh, we just like beat the final boss. This is awesome. Now, like, oh, this thing was never intended to be opened. We've hit another dead end. This is supposed to be like the darkest hour, kind of. What do we do now? And how does it resolve? Yui just goes, oh, I can like get us through. No problem. Oh, yeah. And she just opens it up. Why? Because this random little card, this this random little developer card floated down a few episodes ago right into his hands like uh what is this and it turns out that this is something that i believe asana tossed yeah she like grabbed the access card and like tossed it down and happened to like and happened to go straight to him yeah because that's fate sure whatever it's stupid but whatever but yui is somehow able to use this card to break in just because she can, because she's an AI, which means she can do whatever the fuck she wants. This doesn't make any sense. This shouldn't make any sense. So they get in to the sort of area where Asuna is trapped, and so they start looking for her. Yui continues to bust them through walls because she can, because she's Yui for no reason. Again, this is an AI created in a different game to do a specific job that has nothing to do with being able to warp through walls in a different iteration of a game oh and also she should have been dead in the first place anyway so she's busting them through walls to get her get them towards asana she busts through the wall of the cage itself that asana is in right (laughs) it doesn't like the cage is this whole metaphor it's this whole thing she's trapped in the cage she's a bird in a cage whatever or this or, or pixie asana is able to get out of the cage like earlier on through her own like ingenuity (laughs) <laughs> and it's like this whole thing. And of course she gets trapped back in it. But no, you would just bust down the door and it doesn't matter. Um, the cage doesn't matter, apparently. <laughs> but then even that doesn't matter either. Because then the the super villain, who I have problems with the way he's written too, comes in and teleports them to a different dimension where they can have their epic, epic showdown. Sure, whatever. If you want to do that, you're the developer. You get that right. Then why did it matter that Yui busted down the door in the first place? <laughs> if he can just if he's just gonna teleport them there. Final boss room is important. The the mind-blowing thing about this is that as useful as like game-breakingly useful as Yui is, it actually like really doesn't matter that much, too. <laughs> like the ability of what she does could have been easily written in a totally different way without her. She does not need to exist. She's bad. She sucks. I hate her so much. So you would have liked her more if she'd died earlier, like that one no, girl. I just wish she never had existed. <laughs> she, like even I didn't like her the moment the moment the first word came out of her mouth. <laughs> That's my Yui rant. <laughs> she is a garbage, garbage, garbage character. There is nothing, nothing good about Yui. I don't think she's as prevalent in the second season. That I remember. Thank God. Well, I mean, like, because nobody's there except Kiri. It's literally like, oh, we're going to take the main guy character, Kiri, to put him in this new world where no one's going to come with him because he's on a secret, super secret mission. And then he's going to meet a new girl who totally falls in love with him. And then, honestly, I thought, I personally thought in the second season, the there's like this little arc where all the characters that you've been watching for this entire series are actually playing the video game. Like they were supposed to, 
Mm-hmm. And it's the most boring two episodes I've ever watched of Sword Art Online. Oh, I'm sure it is. And I was like, what? There's literally no reason for this at all. Like, wow, you guys played a video game. Like, congrats. Mm-hmm. And then the final episode arc, which I love because it's an Asuna arc, is about Asuna making new friends. And then, like, Kirito's just kind of there. But it, like, shows off Asuna's badass moments. And I think it's to make up for how non-badass she looked in the second part of the first season mm-hmm. and how little screen time she got in the first part of the second season like asuna gets fucking walked over the entirety of the sao fandom i feel like until maybe the movie where she shows up and then maybe the last final season but even then i don't even know if she's a main character because i mean i haven't seen it whereas like kirito made new friends with an actual guy like oh my god kirito Whoa. made friends with a male well, it looks like that. I don't. Maybe he's like secretly like a female playing a male character. Who knows? Honestly, yeah. but I think they were saying that it's supposed to be better three season three because it's not the same thing again. It's not like the same trope. You mentioned that it was boring when they were just playing a video game, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what I was thinking about in the second half of the first season. Yeah, because there's not the threat. There are absolutely stakes for sure, and I think that was well done and necessary that yes asana's life is still in danger for sure and kirito has to be in the game to do that there are there are real stakes in the game itself Mm -hmm. but there are no stakes in kirito's journey leading up to that there's one specific moment where he and lifa are in this cave city and they're fighting off the salamanders and Leafa's like, okay, we gotta go. Like, we can't, we can't fight this fight. And Kirito's like, fuck that. I never leave a fight, and I never leave my allies behind. And it's like, like really heroic. Like all this talk. Like, and he's like super serious about it too. Like he's not just thinking about this in terms of it being a game. Like I like this is a matter of like pride for me as a person. And so he like goes beast mode, and it's like some secret hidden technique um, again technique where he becomes this giant beast and it's not it's kind of explained it's not very well explained it's also just kind of like a deus ex machina it didn't make a whole lot of sense but whatever that that whole scene was so goofy because they were so the stakes were so low like it's not like they're gonna die they're not gonna die that's the whole that's the whole thing in in the first in the first part of the season yes if you die you die i get it like it's clear that's why that whole like murder mystery thing was so important in this encounter the penalty is that you your character dies and then oh you have to like make up a little bit of time getting back to where you were like oh we lost an hour of time who cares you get you still got like a week left to <laughs> save asana Besides, you don't know what the fuck you're going to do when you get to the world tree anyway. You're just going to break you in anyway. doesn't matter. There's no stakes, at least at that point, you know? it's It was really hard to be invested in that or in any of the politics, again, of the, the, the competing factions because it doesn't matter if you die. It doesn't, yeah, nobody cares. Nobody cares. The, the one other thing I wanted to point out about this part of the season are the villains. The first villain is this guy who is not really given a personality, but that's kind of the point. He has this sort of childhood dream of constructing like this castle in the sky. This is revealed at the end of the first half. 
when he's like talking to Kirito and Asuna on like this plane above the world, which is like a really surreal and really interesting scene, actually. Um, and they're like watching the world fall apart below them. And he's talking about how like he had this dream of creating this castle, um, but then he kind of just lost the plot and was like, well, really probably shouldn't have done that. You know, I'm responsible for about 2,000 people dying. Um, but, you know, hope you guys had fun. Uh, he was just kind of an interesting villain because he's like, you know, he's obviously like a problem. Like he shouldn't have done that. Like who would do that? Like that's a terrible, terrible thing to do. But the fact that he's not like a cackling villain that like gets off on it, you know, like he kind of regrets it, doesn't really understand why he's doing it himself. Then we move to the second part of the season and the villain is just just a terrible person who happens to know a lot about game development or be a genius in game development or whatever, except not even because he just stole all of the previous villain's work. He's just a bad guy that really, really, really wants to rape Asuna. Honestly, that is his though. only character. <laughs> and you're wrong. No. That is his character. Not. Like it's almost like it's not even that he wants her affection back. He like genuinely wants to just rape her. Mm-hmm. Like he any random hentai guy, like any bad hentai like rape scene, like that man is literally the main character of one of those. Yes. Straight up just wants to rape her, wants to hear her scream, wants to hear her say no. And I'm not saying that you can't have a villain that is like that, but same same reasoning that I'm using when I critiqued the slavery aspect of Shield Hero is why would you write this character and include this much energy in posing Asuna as this this rape victim or this potential rape victim? How much screen time are you dedicating to showing Asuna in this position, um, panning up and down her body in these like prisoner clothes? And then, hmm, the fact that the the climax of the show is literally him licking her body, taking off her top, and Kirito watching it all happen. And then, oh, he gets, oh, again, by the way, this really isn't explained either, how he just gets the strength to stand up with a giant sword through his body as he's writhing in pain. Oh, because the previous villain comes and, and gives him a little pep talk. Oh, that's enough for me to have the strength to defy this, the developer who is pinning me to the ground and kick his ass oh by the way another thing with that is the fact that he wants to duel him like it's one thing okay whatever you want to be classy you want to duel someone to like be honorable sure this is not the scenario in which you 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 do that right you don't duel a rapist you kill a rapist which they somehow did but then he also slits his throat, tries to slit his throat in the parking lot but then oh no he just gets arrested (laughs) This yeah. ending was garbage. I mean, there's nothing else to say about it. It was, it was bad. It was terrible. I honestly wanted to like put a little bit out there that I think that there should have been a little bit more trauma for Kirito going into this new world too. Mm-hmm. Like for how traumatic of an experience like Sword Art Online was alone, it, the, there should have been a little bit more trauma. Like it wasn't that much later considering like the timeline of it, of him joining the elf world or whatever like i just thought there should have been like a little bit more panic like i think it 
he like looked a little bit worried. It was like, oh, this is kind of weird. Like doing this again. Like, mm, I'm not so sure. And that, that was over. Like everything was just yeah. normal. I do want to say that this author also wrote Excel World. And I do want to say that I think I think Excel World is a is a better story overall. Like, I think he actually fleshes Excel World out, if I remember correctly. I haven't watched it in a few years, but I do remember really enjoying it for that aspect of, like, the characters felt a lot more fleshed out, but that's because the premise of the show itself really fleshes out those characters. So this author knows how to flesh characters out. He just, I guess, didn't. And maybe it got cut between the light novel, though, and the anime. Who knows? Like, it's kind of hard to tell, at least from, like, Anime's being made perspective of like series showing that it looks like sometimes the industry just is like, hey, we like your idea and concept. We're not going to really use your story, but we're going to take these concepts and make our own. I mean, that's very extreme and I don't think that actually really happens, mm-hmm. but it's I think it's kind of questionable. I mean, they do respect the authors. I think there's probably more respect than that, but there, you know, you never know how much say they truly have. I did definitely get the the sense from watching the show that there was more in the source material that they were. We kind of hope that. I at least hope that. Yeah. Well, there you have it, guys. Sword Art Online, not as amazing as everyone says. Will that stop me from buying a $50 Asuna figurine someday? Probably (laughs) not. (laughs) I will say this show is not bad. There are elements of this show that I think are absolutely awful. But I think overall, it is not a bad show. On the bright side, he did admit that he liked the fact that a lot of the people were just like living their lives in this new world and just kind of accepting it. There was the the first, again, first half of the season when they're trapped in that first world. I don't want to call it politics necessarily, but the the sort of idea of, of it not just being like a battle royale, because that would be the first idea that your mind would jump to if you're writing this story from scratch oh okay so we're going to trap ten thousand people in in this world to maximize the drama of it to give like this real sense of urgency and the sense of fraught allies and and all that we're going to make it so that only one player gets out alive or like one guild gets out alive or whatever and that's gonna that's gonna be the the thing that puts people at each other's throats that's the source of tension they could have easily, easily done that, but they chose not to. And I think it works really well and it opens up a really unique space to be able to explore how people would live in that world. Because there's a lot of it that's theoretically, this game is not just fully cooperative, but it's fully, it's equitable, right? So players like Hirato and Asuna, who are at the top of their game, are doing, are contributing to this common goal everyone wants to get out of the game obviously they don't want to die so these players who have more ability more experience than the others are on the front lines making the sacrifice for the others who know that they can't do that and so this this floor structure which again each floor is like unique and and absolutely gorgeous to look at and to feel like you're like living in it's really interesting to think of these people like living, like picking out a floor and like making a life for themselves. And we start to get a sense of that when Kirito and like Kirito and Asuna can like take a honeymoon. Like where do you where else do you see that in like a in like a show like this? Like there's I mean, there's so... that also requires for a protagonist to choose one girl. Right. Okay, fair enough. 
<laughs> but just like to be able to like take a break because you can, despite the stakes being so high. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying that's unique to this series, but that is just it's really interesting that it's not constantly cutthroat mm-hmm. and that opens up a lot of really cool space. Mm-hmm. So I really like that aspect and I wanted to see it be 25 episodes of that personally. Honestly, if the first half of this season was actually 25 episodes, it would have been amazing. Yeah, They could have done so much with that premise and then it just felt like it flew by. It did. It flew. I, I think they could have leaned into the even like the episode, one episode, two episode, sort of like, um, I don't want to say slice of life, but like, here's an issue in this particular floor. Let's try to solve it, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I know that would that would definitely, it, it, it would be filler, but I think it would still be a, a way to develop a lot of these characters, like Klein, for example, who you just don't really see a whole lot of and who just don't have much character whatsoever, at least that we get to see. He would have been a cool character to follow, though. For sure. Coming off of Shield Hero, I would have loved to see more of this like guild politics. We see we see a little bit of it for sure. But really only like when things come to a head. You mm-hmm. know? We don't see a lot of the the working the inner workings, we see villains. Or like how Asuna really makes her way up the status pole of the what the white blood knights or something. Yeah, yeah. Like she's second in command. I wanna know how that happens. Like what? I will say in general, like as a generalized statement, I think there's a lot of series that are honestly really popular in like this current generation. Like I feel like in in my head, I kind of see different eras of like what what the popular anime are. And I don't think they stay for very long. Usually I think SAO has been around for a really long time. There's definitely the ones that like stick out over a long period of time that are popular, but there's definitely ones that have like lost their big fandom appeal or like people either the old people have already seen it and they love it and they'll go back to it but like the new people aren't gonna jump on those types of shows first in my opinion and so i think that it's been a slight disappointment in seeing what this current generation's shows are and maybe that's just the oldie me talking because i grew up when toradora full metal alchemist or on high school host club was still at its peak fruits basket Death Note, like Lucky Star being really popular too, and no one watching that because it's, it was one of the first like slice of life funny, funny like kind of memeish animes because it's just about girls going to school and kind of, like one of them's a huge otaku, so you get a bunch of different like anime references in it, which is really fun. Mm-hmm. But it's not a show that people watch as much anymore, and like some of those shows are still big, like Death Note. Obviously, I mean they're also remaking some shows, like Higurashi being remade this this season in 2020. And also Fruits Basket being remade, like the Fruits Basket remake, amazing. I thought Fruits Basket as the anime, like originally the ending was bad, but but like Fruits Basket was really good as a, and fun as a show. And then they did the remake and you're like, oh my God, this this is actually really amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously you have the Full Moon remake too, but I still like the original series better. And then like Inuyasha, those older shows too, which is really fantastic series. And then right now I feel like the era is, or at least... I think we're transitioning. Don't get me wrong. I think right now we're kind of in a, a transitionish area, but at least in the most recent like full generation, like Sword Art Online was huge. Tokyo Ghoul was huge. Attack on Titan was huge. And like all three of those shows, I don't think deserve the popularity that they got compared to some of the the older shows of the generation before. They're almost like 
piss poor chosen ones compared to the ones before, in my opinion. Like, we just had a huge rant on SAL. Mm-hmm. I know that Dodo and I have both seen um, Tokyo Ghoul. And yeah. honestly, I was less than impressed with that series. And like, I know that a lot of people are like, oh my God, Tokyo Ghoul or like Dead Man Wonderland was kind of a big thing. I do like Future Diary. There's there's definitely diamonds in the rough. Don't get me wrong. There's definitely good ones. But I didn't I don't understand the hype for Tokyo Ghoul in particular because I thought that the show itself was just like a seven. Like it's yeah. it's not a it's not a bad show, but it's not it doesn't deserve to be like, oh my god, it's Tokyo Ghoul. Like what what right. really makes that different than any other like kind of ish fantasy realm with a character who's a pissy poor little butt face <laughs> like you can sorry i hate whiny characters which is part of the reason why i don't love future diary because yuki's a little priss i hate prissy characters like that yeah and tokyo ghoul guys also that too and attack on titan guy, not as much i hate armin i hate i literally hate armin with burning fashion because he's fucking annoying so much hate I will say I will defend Future Diary. I will defend Yuki though, because Yuki's um, crybaby nature, and we were discussing we might do an episode on crybaby pr- protagonists because they're so prevalent. Yeah. Um, I will defend Yuki because that attitude sets up you know so well the Yandere. That's it. Um, and that oh. it 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 makes that work so well. I feel like he's not a crybaby simply because that's the trope and that's what you do with your male protagonists. I feel like he's that because it actually works with what the plot's trying to do. And I would okay. actually kind of say that for Tokyo Ghoul too. Now I agree that I don't I don't think Tokyo Ghoul is an amazing show. I also thought it was kind of average. I thought that, that his development allowed him to do the sort of jokerified thing at the end and that like like showing like having him start that way allows that ending to be more powerful at least that's fair it felt like it was such a drag though like i honestly wanted it to be like a movie or something shorter because half the series he's just like oh my god i don't want to do things that ghouls normally do i mean mm-hmm. i did like the aspect of it being i don't know i think i would have liked it better if the main girl character was the main character but it's fine i'm just biased um I like the fact that it really was like, hey, ghouls are people too. They just happen to eat people, which is, I guess, bad. Yeah. It's kind of like Parasite too. Like, I thought Parasite was actually a decent show. I think I gave it an eight. I don't think it was that much better than average, but it was like decent. Sorry, for anyone listening on MAL, like, I know the average number is five, but personally, I think seven is my like average. Mm-hmm. And then below or higher than that is um if like an eight would be like oh it's a good series and like nine would be like oh my god like i'd watch this again and then ten is like oh my god this is like the best ever (laughs) but yeah i think that it was like it was a good series it just i don't think it deserves as many items in hot topic as it has (laughs) (laughs) it, it it is very it works very well for merch that's right. fair because you can make a mask, especially during this pandemic. Yeah, I don't know how many masks like uh, the like same brand of those Tokyo Ghoul masks I've seen at anime conventions. Or like it's an easy cosplay; you just have white hair. It's easy to commercialize. I also thought those the villains in that show were were like fun and interesting, and I think they carried a lot of weight. Okay. For the show, personally, fair enough. 
I maybe I I just have no tolerance for pissy little boy characters. I think <laughs> I just have no tolerance for them at all. Yeah. I mean, I've also have almost no tolerance for like pissy girl characters, but it takes a lot longer. I've just no patience. Well, uh, listeners, I think it's time for our applied anime fun fact, which is more turning into a meme fact. Meme facts. So our meme fact for this week is. I don't know if anyone else has seen it. If you find this picture, please send it to me. But when I was scrolling through SAO memes, I don't even know why, I found this really funny meme that when Kirito pats the head of like a girl in SAO, they live. And so like the the meme starts with like saying something to the extent of that, and then showing Kirito head patting like Asuna, Yui, Lifa, Blacksmith Girl lollycon girl <laughs> i don't remember their names and then like the last panel is sachi the girl that dies looking back at kirito and being like kirito question mark and i don't know why it was just the funniest shit that i had like read on the internet for a long time i mean between that and like sandwich coon memes where like out of all the girls kirito and sandwich coon are like otp because kirito just cares about the cooking um which like is really emphasized when people like do like Kirito looking at sandwich lovingly, Kirito looking at Asuna questioning questioningly when she strips for him, and you're like, you're not wrong. Mm-hmm. Kirito just wanted the sandwich and the food, and Asuna's over here being like, let's get down and dirty. <laughs> but yeah, meme meme fact for the week. <laughs> meme autopsy. Meme autopsy. And we're back. We're back. Okay. There are two, I think at least two more shows that we wanted to talk about today. Maybe not to the same extent as SAO, but... You mean I'm not going to be able to put someone through the slammer like you did with Yui? I mean, you can you can put someone through the slammer. I just can't agree with you or disagree because I haven't seen Rent-A-Girlfriend. That's fair. Speaking of which, Feyan watched Rent-A-Girlfriend. I did. I actually read the manga originally for this one the only reason i read the manga was because the art was pretty mm-hmm. and i stayed because the art was pretty and the girl was pretty and i knew what i was getting into i knew it was a harem i also had heard of like rental girlfriends as an actual thing in asian countries too so the premise was really interesting too because it was a fun little like twist like the main plot is a guy who got broken up with his girlfriend and so he rents a girlfriend to kind of as the character herself, I think, says it the best, is rental girlfriends are like a band-aid to stop the bleeding. Mm-hmm. And so he goes out with her, kind of sees her as shallow, and then ends up giving her a bad review in which he gets her again, and then starts treating her like shit, in which she's like, hey, I didn't sign up for this. Like, You're paying for me to be here. You're the one who's like renting me out. I'm trying to be the perfect girlfriend here. So like... You can either get over your shit or like blah blah blah. And so then later down the like later that episode, he ends up doing really stupid things. Like 
this protagonist is in the category of prissy little boy characters I hate. <laughs> um, just gonna put that first. But in the show, he like has to go see his grandma because his grandma went to the hospital, and so she ends up going with him. And then he not only introduces her to his family as his girlfriend, proceeds to introduce her to his friends as his girlfriend. And later on, his ex sees that he now has a girlfriend. And so, like, the entire show is based upon this huge lie that they've created for him actually just having this rental girlfriend. And my problem with it isn't even that. Because I think that that's what makes the show itself. Like, I know that I read one of the reviews and someone was like, how awful of a, like, how awfully down could you have been to rent a girlfriend for yourself? And I think mm-hmm. that whoever wrote that, first of all, one, I don't know if you've ever felt love because sometimes people are just in a really dark place after putting their heart out there because he like put his heart out there for this like ex-girlfriend. Like they were apparently talking about having their first kid together. They were talking, he was like completely Mm. in love with her. He told her that he would make her happy for the rest of her life. Like he was balls deep in this relationship and she just pretty (laughs) much said, nah, it's true though. This like, (laughs) I just, Never mind. Go up. Go on. Okay, but like, if you okay, they haven't had sex. The entire like funny part of this premise, I guess, that all his like nerdy friends who are also apparently ugly, like they they were like, oh yeah, this main character is so ugly. He's like not even that ugly, and their his friends are uglier, but like because they couldn't make him that ugly, or else he'd just be a really ugly, disgusting, rapey hentai guy. But. The whole premise of that is like, oh my god, he's a virgin. Oh my god, he's never gonna get it off. And then he suddenly has this like hot girlfriend, and everyone's like, oh my god, how the hell did he get a hot girlfriend? Da, da, da. And uh, I, I, there's like so much of this show that just irks the shit out of me because, and I don't swear often on this cha- on this podcast. Like I, I know I haven't, but like this is swear worthy material. Like this guy realizes that he's in love with the main girl character when he's jacking off to his ex in a ba- a bikini and picturing himself having sex with her and then has flashes of the rental girlfriend girl while he's having this masturbating fantasy about his ex-girlfriend <laughs> is when he realizes he's in love with the girl that he's renting. And it's not even... It doesn't even stop there. He masturbates so often. Like, I get it. Maybe if you were like, I don't know. He's a freshman. He's like a freshman or sophomore in college, too. Like, Mm -hmm. it's this isn't even like a high school anime. It's a college anime. And this man acts like he's a fucking middle school boy. Like, there's not a scene where the girls don't come on where he's not looking at their ass or their thighs. And I get it. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't mind etchy scenes like i love i loved watching high school dxd but this is not a show that like came in with you being like oh yeah this shit's gonna get dirty really fast like that's literally the premise of high school dxd you go into it knowing that it's gonna be dirty and you just roll it with it and it's just it's actually a decent show for being dirty i'm not gonna lie i really liked high school dxd not the new season with the new animation i just can't handle that but like, High School EXD was a fun show. Or, like, I've seen a lot of other shows. Like, Kiss Excess I've seen. And that's also a dirty show. But it's just really well made as a harem because it's just fun. And then you have 
the extremely big hentai, like not hentai, etchy harem to love Rue. I own the first and second seasons of that series. I like it so much. And this show is just so piss poor in comparison, especially when you're thinking like not even like the etchy realm, but the ha- the harem realm, especially after watching like quintessential quintuplets. This guy is such a fucking loser. And all these amazing girl characters that are created are like in love with him when he saves their ass. Like, the entire first three episodes are this whole clash between him having the rental girlfriend and him wanting to get back with his ex-girlfriend. Which Mm -hmm. the ex-girlfriend does, you know, some crazy ex-girlfriend things that girls do when they're like, oh my god, this guy who's like in total love with me is suddenly with someone else. And like somewhere in your little heart, you're like, damn, like that was fast. I feel a little bit offended. Some people act on it. Some people don't. (laughs) Just putting it out there. But... Like, she, she, like, kisses him behind the... Like, they go on this, like, beach trip. Somehow, in some situation, the the rental girlfriend has to show up because she happens to be, like, there, too, with her friends. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the ex-girlfriend brings him back and, like, kisses him. He gets, like, completely confused. Everyone can tell that she's fucking playing him. Like, the entire time. Mm-hmm. He's just a dumbass. Like, his friends notice that she's playing him. His friends are better characters than this guy is he's such a piss poor loser all he does is fucking jack off or complain about wow you know i'm such a i'm such a sad human being and i have nothing good for myself it's like well maybe if you like tried to live and not just lied about everything because he literally it's so funny at one point there's another character that like falls in love with him after he like saves her one time from falling down the stairs and they never really explain it in the anime in the anime but like in the manga the whole po- they kind of try to explain it in the ending song but it doesn't I don't know if everyone watched it watched it slash got it but essentially she has like some condition where her heart's never beat faster than like 50 beats per second and so he's the only person to ever make her heart race and so she's obsessed with him because oh, he's no. made her heart race but like it's not like he did like he literally saved her one time or like he embraced her one time (laughs) and now she's like completely obsessed with him like she she blackmails him into dating her so she doesn't tell his family that he has a rental girlfriend Mm -hmm. and you're like okay and like people hate her like i kind of wasn't a big fan of her but at the same time like you know what it's not her fault for being a go-getter it's literally his (laughs) for not being able to fucking decide what he's doing like he actually starts dating her but still goes on rental dates with like the other girl but not only because like they have this agreement where he has to like have her meet his family it's also because he just wants to spend time with her and is in complete love with her of course completely in love with her and the other girl knows that and she's like she goes really hard at first then she's like you know what i'm just gonna kind of calm down hold back and be like hey i want you to fall in love with me naturally and he's like it more (laughs) it more frustrates me like i was fuming after i had to watch like eight episodes yesterday just the fact that like this guy is so obsessed with like oh my god i want a girlfriend oh my god i want a hot girlfriend and this he literally says that she's s tier like this girl that's in complete love with him is an s tier girl on par with mizuhara who's the main girl character but when she ever like tries to advance towards him he's like 
yeah, I don't, I don't like you because you're just too aggressive. Like, I can't handle this. Like, I'm a piss poor little male character. How could I have this hot girl like all over me? Oh my god! Like, he ignores her. Mm-hmm. He like uh, tries to avoid her. Like, he doesn't even respect her. Like, her, she's she's getting crushed every time he goes out with the other girl. Like, she's just trying her hardest, and he doesn't just say no. Like, mm-hmm. just tell her no, honestly. But the worst part is like, sorry, I got sorry tracked because my brain's everywhere on the series. The first three episodes, the main guy character's best friend is literally like, hey, bro, you're a fucking douchebag for not being able to decide between your current girlfriend and the ex-girlfriend. Because, like, obviously to them, they're like, oh, my God, he has a new really hot girlfriend. And now he's, like, between that and his ex because his ex is, like, bothering him. And so he's like, wow, you're a piece of shit. And he's like, yeah, I know. I'm I'm such a piece of shit. And, like, is crying and, like, all that shit. But then the entire show itself is about him not being able to decide on which girl he wants like he doesn't learn anything so he doesn't grow from that by the no he doesn't and he still masturbates like there's honestly (laughs) one scene where the grandma because the grandma is friends with the grandma of the girl that he's like the rental girlfriend girl and so they like rent out this place and they get them a room and they trick them into being a room together and so the the one at, later on in the scene she was like yeah i don't feel comfortable with you even like being in my vicinity and then she's like you know i have a heart you don't have to sleep out in the hallway you can just like have your futon on the other side of the room than me and he's like oh my god we might have sex i was like what mm-hmm. calm down horn dog what the fuck like she's not saying like here get into my futon we can have a nice night together no she's <laughs> literally saying yeah you can roll out your futon like on the opposite side of this this like area and we can cohabitively sleep in the same room. <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine not getting, like, not jumping the girl across the way from you. Like, amazing. Eye-opening. But there's this one part where he starts, like, crying and he grabs a tissue. And the first thought is like, oh, no, he's not going to do it here with her in this room, is he? <laughs> and then he, like, wipes his eyes. I was like, oh, thank God he at least has some sort of semblance of norm normal human being is but you know i wouldn't put it past some people but yes and like i don't know i just i'm frustrated with the series too because reading the manga was just the it took so long for any real plot to happen it felt like because the manga moves so slow because they want to like you know they're milking the series pretty much and I love the main girl character, but like you said before, I think that's the difference. I was thinking about it, and I think that's the difference between this show and Future Diary, where like Yuki's a really weak character, but Yuno plays off of it so well that makes her a stronger character. Yeah. Mizuhara is like a B version of that. Like she does really good, like she says really good lines when he's like down, but that doesn't make up for the fact that he's a shitty human being. Like Mm -hmm. completely shitty. Like I just hate him as a protagonist he has literally no character he only looks at girls for like their like how sexy they are and like congrats to him at least at the end of the day when he was like oh my god i love mizuhara because and then he starts with like her soft lips her long legs i was like oh dear and then he's like but she also has like this the attitude of not being straight with you but also very caring and like went into like her actual personality because she has one but no i'm 100% frustrated with rental girlfriend. Rent a girlfriend, sorry. I honestly would have probably marked it lower than a six if I didn't love Mizuhara so much and couldn't do that to her. <laughs> but yeah, the girl characters in that are kind of, they're fun. And like, 
they even like had a stacked staff for it too. Like the only person who didn't have any major roles was the main guy character, which is fine. Like I don't, I think the voice acting in that show is actually great. But like when you see that many big name characters, especially for like you have Rie Takahashi playing a character that showed up for two episodes, and she's a pretty big name actress right now. Like you're going hard for the series to succeed. And if you're putting in that much effort for the art, the art was gorgeous. I always loved the art style and watching it animated was amazing. The eyes are so pretty, but yeah, no, I rent a girlfriend. It was, it's so not good. And I know that a lot of people are really into it right now. I, I don't think it's going to be a big wave, but Oh my God. It just, and the, the way you're describing the relationship just also, again, makes me think of our discussion. The discussion we had in episode two on, on Bunny Girl Senpai and mm-hmm. how mature and thus interesting their relationship was and how nuanced it was that they like are interested in each other, they care about each other, respect they each other. Are they respect each other, their their desire for each other isn't a monolith. It just feels so shallow in this series. I mean, like it's supposed to be shallow because she's like the whole premise is like, well, she's a rental rental girlfriend, like there's like this stigma or whatever and they're trying to like kind of break it in the sense of him getting close to her and like seeing her as a real person mm-hmm. but like it it feels like he was they were trying for like the same sort of ish feel of bunny girl but like bunny girl sometimes in like it's whole different league like bunny the relationship in bunny girl sometimes is just so amazing and we can almost talk about that even with sao harem versus harem like there are not a lot of shows where a protagonist chooses the main like the girl within like the first few episodes there's not yeah sao and funny girl somebody are two of the few or like there's two different types of harems there's one where the protagonist will like choose a girl but then there's a lot of other girls that are around him that he doesn't really know to choose from two they're all equal which is like quintessential quintuplet sorry there's actually three and then three there's the new new girl who's like an alien or someone from a different place new planet new experience new new person and then there's the homegirl, the girl that like he knew from childhood, the girl that's always known him. And those two are the two that clash the most. And then you add in the Sundetta, you add in like all the other ones and mm-hmm. whatever. And that that's there's your harem. Like there's a generic harem formula. It's crazy to watch a show like Bunny Girl Senpai and love the characters so much for how how realistic or not realistic, but at least like wholesome their relationship is compared to like some of these mm-hmm. other shows where, like, that guy, even in Bunny Girl Senpai, is a pervert. Like, yeah. he says things that are inappropriate, even to girls that are not his girlfriend. But at least he doesn't, like, leer at them. Yeah. Or accidentally grab their boobs. Well, I mean, like, that's just a harem thing, though, too. I don't know. I just, it's just annoying. But yes, that is my two two cents on Rent-A-Girlfriend. Rent but now we'll flip back to you, since you have to, I have a few more other shows that I want to briefly mention, because I've seen a lot more, I think, than you have. Mm-hmm. And I did watch a few more series this past. Um, I have a few arguments with the, the 2020 choice anime of the year for Crunchyroll. I'm not going to lie. But we should get into Dr. Stone because that was also a big series that came out last year. Yeah. And I won't, I won't spend too long on this. There's really, there's a lot of good in Dr. Stone for sure. I love the premise. I think the art is absolutely gorgeous. As you point out, Fayon, before the show, the dialogue's pretty good. 
the I'll, I'll say the character development I can't really really judge. I think I made it through six or seven episodes. It didn't strike me as bad per se. So the the premise of the show is that some event occurs. I I don't know if it's I don't even remember if it's explained or not. But anyway, it's not important. Some event occurs that turns all living like animals, like plants are still fine, but like it turns like animals, including humans, into stone, like into stone statues, basically. And so like nature begins to take over, basically. Um, And so like in the first episode, you see this like absolutely gorgeous timeline of like, here's what happens 100 years in the future, 1000 years in the future, 2000 years in the future. I forget. I forget the exact amount of time. But like nature's taking back over and it like destroys all the modern cities. Like it's basically reduced back to a quote original natural state prior prior to human quote human civilization. Mm-hmm. The protagonist breaks out of his his stone statue state at one point because he is in this cave and this liquid like drips onto his face from the from the top of the cave and turns out that this liquid just happens to be the right proportion of these different elements that somehow uh, reconstitute him as like flesh and turning him from stone back into human he also happens to be this like savant science kid who is just extremely smart and extremely into science and so he's like, oh, okay, I need to figure out like what the hell happened. And so he starts to figure out like what this this chemical compound is. And he's like, I'm going to use this to start reviving people. Well, the first person he finds that he wants to revive is his close friend from high school, who's kind of this meathead guy um, who's just like, he's not super smart, but he's super strong and athletic. And he's always been like a super loyal friend to the science nerd guy when he got bullied and stuff. So he revives this guy and they set out together to start. Basically their goal is to rebuild human civilization. One by reviving everyone who's trapped in stone and two by advancing technology back to the point where it was when this event occurred. So they set out to do that. And of course, the science guy has all this prior knowledge, so he's able to take on these advancements very quickly. He's a high schooler? As a high schooler. That's, that's the basic premise of the show. They end up finding other people who uh, like live in a tribal environment. And again, I only made it six episodes in, so I don't know everything that happens. The conflict that is outlined in this clip at the end of episode two is my problem with the show. I could not stand watching the show because of the premises of this conflict. I tried to watch it for four more episodes, hoping things would change. They did not. In fact, I think they only just got kind of worse. I said, nope, I'm out. I can't stand this anymore. So the the conflict is this. The main character, uh, to repeat, his goal is to bring back as many people as possible, revive human civilization to its former technological glory with the tools at hand. Now, there's this other guy that he revives. I think his name is Tsukasa. And Tsukasa is an even bigger meathead than his friend, um, except that he's actually very smart and sort of analytical. He's not an, he's not an airhead, but he's like super athletic and he's, he's actually kind of um, 
superhuman almost. He has like superhuman strength. Like I think he like fights fights off lions or something with his bare hands or something. He's a high schooler too. He's also a high schooler, yes. Got it. But he's also like kind of com- contemplative and quiet. Okay, so basically Sukasa has a different worldview. What Sukasa wants to do in this world is rather than bring everyone back and advance technology, Sukasa sees this as an opportunity to take the world in a different direction. So Sukasa wants to rather than bring the old people back, he wants to destroy their statues so they can't be brought back and he only wants to revive the young people, the people who have been victimized by the civilization that they had no part in in, in creating, um, who've been downtrodden. Essentially, in uh, to to put this in clearer terms that I don't think Sukasa uses, but he's sort of getting at the concept of proletariat, of a, of a sort of class. I'm reading this as a sort of class uh, class divide, mm-hmm. the way that he describes it. But he uses the terms young and old instead. But the way he describes it is in terms of class. And so he wants to bring just those young people back and just live in this sort of, quote, natural, he calls it a paradise. So he's like, we've got this great world now. We don't have to worry about all the problems uh, with human civilization. And he brings up this particular story of him as like a boy collecting seashells for his sister who is sick in the hospital. And he's like, well, I I want her to... She's like she's always wanted to be a mermaid or whatever like sure whatever so he's collecting seashells um to make her a necklace so that she can feel like a mermaid kind of goofy but whatever so he's collecting seashells and this like asshole fisherman guy comes up and like beats the shit out of him for collecting seashells because the fisherman's like you're on my property you're stealing my seashells and so that's sukasa's like backstory for being like this is why private property is shit this is why we need to let these old people die. So we shouldn't bring people back and we shouldn't advance technology. So one seashell, make or break mm-hmm. that man's property slash this child wanting to kill many, many adults. <laughs> so you, you might be able to see where I, what I'm trying to get at here, what, what my problem is with this series. So Sukasa explains all of this to Sankyu. And he's like, this is why I want to leave the world as it is and only bring back the young. And Sankyu's response is what made me want to strangle this young man. (laughs) He said, I'm just a tech-loving boy that loves anime and I love science so much. So I'm not going to let you do that. I'm going to pursue science because I want to pursue science because that's what I like. That's the conflict in the show. That is is good versus (laughs) evil. The, the conflict is, to put it in more ideological terms, is um, a sort of uh, progressive technocracy, futurist versus uh, anarcho-primitivism, essentially. My, my problem with this is that both of these characters missed the mark in very dumb ways. Tsukasa acts like a douchebag. He like pushes people around. He, he's like, I'm going to raise an army of young people and we're going to be assholes to everyone. It kind of diverges from his original goal. Mm-hmm. It's sort of this like classic idea of like uh, the authoritarian utopian 
who gets gets too involved self-involved and they turn corrupt or whatever and their original vision which was pure is now you know tainted whatever yeah well they couldn't have another light yagami well light yagami was pretty evil from i mean his original goal was to cleanse the world of evilness i mean like both of them started off with like kind of a premise that wasn't you know the worst like yeah. people want to get rid of evil i think the thing that's different though is like light wasn't shown in like light isn't a douchebag he's just a really intelligent sociopath yeah sukasa his character is adorned with douchebaggery like they purposely to make him made less him likable. less likable yeah like and that's kind of dumb it's not in a way that accords with his ideology is the important part it's he's a douchebag because he's the villain mm-hmm it's not an extension of his ideology. In fact, it, it it goes very much against his ideology. He has class consciousness that he fails to apply in any meaningful way. Thank you, because Sukasa is the the proto class conscious person. Thank you is posed against him. Thus, progressivism, futurism, technology is all posed against class consciousness. Mm. That is the 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 Overton window that surrounds this this political landscape between these two characters. Technology is incompatible with proletarian uprising. Thank you is all the more infuriating because for him it is a personal interest in technology. His understanding of technology is so fetishistic that it's actually maddening. He has no ideological tools to question the the ethical consequences of quote human civilization and that's seen in the way that he responds to sakasa by saying you say civilization is bad well i say civilization is good because i like video games you can imagine why this could be difficult to watch yeah i can definitely imagine <laughs> how do you cheer for this protagonist after he says something like that um when you're a little boy that likes anime and being a hero or girl that's a real problem then. If you are telling young children who are watching this that civilization equals good because we have video games uh. and teamwork and also because people who say that that's bad are douchebags. I mean, like, what does he expect to fix, though? Like, there are problems with, like, adults and them being in power. Don't mm -hmm. get me wrong. Like, we literally see that and live it right now. But... I don't know, like, there should be, I think, a little bit discretion of who you're deciding to bring back. Yeah, no, the, the, the conflict between young and old, old, for sure, like, that divide is also shitty, but it's, a, it's close enough to class consciousness that that is the, the association that's being made. If you're saying civilization is bad, look at how, like, like and you're, you're equating that with, like, private property, right? You're saying this is bad um, because of old people. It's just, like, it's giving you uh, a neural pathway to say... This is what communists think. This is this is why communism is shitty and capitalism is good, because capitalism believes in technology and and human civilization. Communism can still think of technology and human civilization. Exactly, and that totally gets left out of the picture. That's wrong. We can't have communism. Part part of the ideology of capitalism is in a historical understanding of quote progress. Capitalist ideology establishes itself by saying capitalism is the necessary outcome of furthering ourselves in the march towards better lives, improving the livelihood, the, the standard of living, 
um, moving ourselves farther away from nature and uh, technological efficiency, that this uh, monolithic unilateral um, human progress capitalism is the not necessary outcome of. Marxism kind of does this in a, in a similar way, but it's the difference is that it is historical and it recognizes capitalism not as the end of history, but as a his, as a very historical and thus temporary and changeable outcome of historical events. This is not necessarily progress. It is a is a change in how we relate to the world via labor, via our social relations with each other. That the the fact that this historical understanding is reduced to when I couldn't collect seashells for my sister. <laughs> that this is the motivation of this character, this this really asinine anecdote. This is why this character hates private property, not because it's disenfranchised millions and um, totally wiped out millions of acres of, of wildlife, that it's disenfranchised millions of people, led to starvation, led to mass exploitation, slavery, trafficking, mass drug addiction. No, he just wanted his little sister to be a mermaid. Yes. There's, it's totally, it, it reduces the claims of communism to, to uh, a petty, petty personal wish. And that's, that works so well with the narrative of, of figures like Stalin. People attribute Stalin to being like, oh, he's just like this dictatorial personality. Like he just had this one dream. And so he subjected millions of people to it because he wanted this thing. When in actuality, it was people who actually want to own their own means of production and have agency over their own lives. That's the other thing too, is this ideology of freedom. Once again, we should talked about in episode four, freedom becomes the realm of thank you because he is the one who works well with others. Sukasa poses himself as authoritarian and thus those who work with him are less free. Hmm. This is a very typical and very ideologically pungent way to set up our understanding of technology and nature. It absolutely reinforces disgusting ideas of what civilization means. And I think I only didn't watch it because it was a Crunchyroll original. <laughs> I think it's kind of weird that Crunchyroll has originals now, but yeah. To be fair, like most anything that, that, that celebrates capitalism in any way, yes, it, it reinforces capitalism ideo ideologically. Yes, I get that. This does it, I think, in such a nefarious and disgusting way that I think it's it's more explicitly propaganda than than other shows that do it. I thought Dr. Stone was a pretty big, like, yeah, it's a 97 popularity for a 2019 mm -hmm. series. Yeah, it was very popular when it came out, for sure. It is definitely very popular. I know that we've talked about a lot of different shows now. There are at least two more that I do want to mention briefly. Like I said, not happy with the major 2020 Anime Choice Awards Crunchyroll choice. <laughs> not that i already kind of hate it because it's clearly a biased popularity vote and in the u.s a lot of anime fans like shonen so a lot of shows that we talk about are shonen a lot of the panels at conventions are shonen 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 <laughs> i like yuri and I like Moe Dumps, and I like Slice of Lives. <laughs> I know we get them, but let them win sometimes! Um, anyway, that's my whole tangent. I, I don't actually know enough about what series came out this past year to argue 
more of like I want this certain like Moe dump to be on top. But I can tell you for sure after watching Demon Slayer, I like the premise. The premise of Demon Slayer is a boy whose family gets killed by demons except his one sister who survives because she turns into a demon. And the entire premise is then him learning to become a demon slayer slash trying to figure out the truth of how to turn his sister back into a human. And his sister being special because she's never eaten a human but able to survive as a demon and help fight with humans against demons and help him kind of as a demon slayer. And like, I really like that. I guess my frustration with the series comes down to one thing. One character. Oh. Literally one character has ruined this entire show for me. And the worst part is, I know for a fact that he's not going away anytime soon. So I already told you earlier that I hate prissy little whiny bitches. Mm-hmm. I don't like Armin from Attack on Titan. He made that show worse for me. I also didn't really, going on a little bit, a spew on Attack on Titan, because um, I have seen it. I, I think it deserves an 8 again. I don't think that it's as amazing... Maybe the later seasons are. I've only seen one season, to be fair. But I felt like it was very here or there with, like, really focusing on the storyline, focusing on the characters, and then they'd, like, have, like, funny episodes here and there, which is good. I mean, like, that's a normal show because you need to have a little bit of humor and, like... The fact that I haven't gone back to watch season two anytime recently just shows how, like, not top tier this series is on my list of, like, I need to watch it. Mm-hmm. Just to preface that, there's a character whose name is Zenitsu... He's also blonde, and he's the whiniest little fucking bitch I've ever met in anime. Ever. The first few seasons of, I mean, the first few episodes of Demon Slayer were great. I liked it. I love the art. The art is amazing. Don't get me wrong. Like, it has the old, like, wall scroll art style of, like, how you would draw water or fire or, like, different elements. And that's what they use to, like, draw ability attacks because all of them are based off of the elements, which is really cool. It's a beautifully, beautifully animated series. The characters, like, the main character is, like, gung-ho, wanting to prove himself. Like, who doesn't like a character who works for what he, like, really wants? You can't help but love Netsuko, even though she says literally nothing the entire series, but you still love her because she's adorable. And I'd totally buy a figurine. And then you have my favorite voice actress in it, who's Shino, like one of the really awesome, like they have like, you know, the top tier demon slayer people, like women and men that kind of remind you of like Bleach with the whole like um, generals thing. And then you have the two characters that come in that are totally going to be following the main character for the rest of the goddamn series that annoy the shit out of me. The first one is Inosuke, who's actually voiced by the same guy who plays Soma because he's in everything now. Soma from Food Wars, I'm sorry. Which, also, we never touched on, was actually a good series for the generation of it, kind. I did enjoy Food Wars, and I'm glad that... Food Wars is awesome. ...with the ending. Anyway, Inosuke, who has, like, this boar head on his head because underneath he's actually, like, this... He has, like, a cute girlish face or something like that, but he, like, lived in the forest, but he became a demon slayer because demon slayers are cool. He's, like, a trickle of annoying because he's just very aggressive the entire time for no apparent reason, but he at least plays it... Zenitsu is literally the worst parts of any male character you could ever find. He's whiny and a prissy little brat. He constantly is complaining about everything. He has the worst self-esteem in the world. He hits on any girl within his vicinity and asks her to, like, carry his child, which, don't get me wrong, I've seen Inuyasha. 
I actually like Moroku and he does the exact same thing, but he doesn't do it constantly. Like, oh my God, there's a girl in my vicinity. <laughs> I We should produce children. <laughs> like that feeling, like, no, please no. And then like, there's this entire scene when they're fighting this demon. He literally knocks out because he just passes out. And that's mm -hmm. the only way he can actually fight is when he passes out and he knows one ability of lightning. And then he kills it because it's really strong and powerful. Like imagine having a hyper beam, but you can only use it when you're asleep. And I guess in a vulnerable position, but you're not really because you can beat the shit out. Like <laughs> this character is the literally most annoying character I've ever met in my life. And with season two or the movie, the movie's coming out like soon. And season two is going to come out eventually because this show's doing really well. And I think it's a really fun... I, I like the premise of this series. It it really brings back, like, the vibe of a cool, like, kind of Bleach and, like, Inuyasha vibe where, like, you're sword fighting. You have, like, you have a passionate protagonist. It has everything you would have in a really good series. And then this one character ruins the whole goddamn show. I mean, I probably will still watch it. But I'm not going to be happy about having to watch this little bitch constantly. I hope he fucking grows. Because I don't know how much longer I can handle. Demon Slayer, like, watch it if you want. Just know that I personally think that it's just aggravating because of the blonde hair character. Because he's he's the worst. <laughs> Literally the worst. As for a series, though, that are coming out currently, um, as I said before, like, it's kind of like, you know when Amazon started making their own Amazon series? Yeah, Orange is the New Black and stuff like that. I felt like a lot of their first series, like they actually chose decent series that they created. And now it's just like everything's Netflix original or like whatever. Not even mm -hmm. Amazon. Sorry, that was Netflix. Netflix original this, Netflix original that. Like Kakaguri is a Netflix original because they put some money into helping the production of Kakaguri. Like, mm -hmm. okay. Um, but Crunchyroll's doing the same thing now. And doing it with Webtoons too. And I'm like, okay, this is... There's a really thin blur i think right now between korean japanese culture things like if you like anime most likely you also like k-pop sort of kind of feels and it's an, an interesting place to be in because i think before there was a lot broader distance between the two besides that's another story for another day anyway sorry so one of the new originals that country world's really promoting right now and i don't know how many people love the series um, I think that it's getting, I mean, right now it has a 7.8 rating, which I don't think it deserves on my anime list. It's called Tonikawa Over the Moon for You. As someone who loves shoujo, like shoujo shows, romantic comedies, I literally hate this series. Ooh. The only reason I'm watching it is because Yuchan's in it. Yuchan plays a fantastic character who's a little high school girl who's like, makes a lot of pervy jokes and I just laugh every time because I'm like, oh my god, you chimes making pervy jokes. But so out of all the premises that this could have been, there's this guy, his name is NASA, like named after the space station, like NASA. Um and so like everyone's, you know, laughed at him for his name. And so he's like, oh my God, I have to like work and be really studious and prove myself that I can be faster than NASA and make it to where my dreams are. Like, there's some stupid line like that that he likes to say. Mm -hmm. Anyway. So he's really studious, wants to get into, like, this really good high school or college, or I don't even remember. I think he's going into college. And one day when he's walking down the road, he sees a really pretty girl across the street. And we all know what stupid characters do when they see a pretty girl across the street. They jump the border, like, they jump the, the sidewalk bars and try and walk straight at them, not caring at all about, you know, the traffic 
that rides on the roads. And so he jumps over this this railing and tries to walk over towards her without any consciousness of knowing what's around him. And so he gets hit by a truck, but she saves him. Let me press this was like, there's no proven fact that she's any sort of like special being. She just somehow was able to save him from dying from a truck. And then they try and play it off as like this funny joke where he's just so hyped on adrenaline that he can just kind of pop up and run after her. And she's all like, at one point she's like, I don't know how the hell you followed me on like two broken legs. And he's like, what do you mean broken legs? And he like falls into his knees and you're like, yep. Okay. And she's like, well, that was the adrenaline. Anyway, he's like, oh my God, I'm never going to see her again. I, I have to make sure that like I confess to her. So like he confesses and she's like, well, the only way that like we can be together is if you marry me. And so he's like, yeah, I will marry you. I'll marry you. Yeah. Yeah. And so then he knocks out for like two years. In those two years, he like goes through rehab, is able to walk again magically. Uh, not magically, but he goes through rehab and he's able to walk again. He has a normal life in which he doesn't make it into college because he's so focused on this girl that's shown up in his life that he just doesn't make it into college, gets a normal job and just living his life in his solo male apartment, living the bachelor life, going to work, coming back home, not really doing much. And then suddenly this girl comes and she's like, hi, remember that promise we made? Yeah, let's get married like right now. In my head, I'm like, wow, maybe she's like some special mystical being that comes from the stars or something like, you know, or like she saved him from getting hit by a truck. And she's like, all she has is like a little bit of blood coming from her face. And then she walks away. Like, she's fine. I was like, what? <laughs> Excuse you? So there's that. And then he actually, they actually go through with it. They get married. Like the entire show is about them getting married and like knowing nothing about each other. And she, he's like, wait, what? Like, but why did you marry me? And she's like, well, obviously I couldn't marry someone that I didn't love. And he's like, or she, actually she turns it on him first being like, well, why did you marry me? And he's like, well, I, I love you. And you're like, you literally met her for like an hour, but it's fine. And that sounds like that's what the, the the premise is based on is they're trying to figure out if they can love each other even though they know nothing about each other yeah i'm just i can't handle this stupidity fair enough i mean looks like there's only three episodes out so maybe it'll turn you say that um but each episode has already felt like a drag the only episode i've liked so far is episode three where yuchan finally showed up i don't know it's just like in the single first night that they're together right He's like, oh my god, I live in a bachelor pad. Obviously, I don't have a second bed. I don't have any, like, stuff for you. So, mm-hmm. she's, like, gonna sleep over. He's like, wait, you should sleep over. So, they go out and buy a futon. And they come back. And they're like, oh, wait, you don't have any, like, things for me to take care of. So, they go out and buy her shampoo and all this other stuff. And then they come back. And they're like, oh, wait, we also forgot this other thing. So, they, no, sorry. The first time they go out is to get married and come back. Mm-hmm. And then they realize they don't have a futon. Go out and come back. And then they don't real they realize they don't have her stuff. So, they go out and come back. I was like. He spent like how long like walking back like in this single night over the span of episodes what and like uh and uh and then of course like he can't sleep because he's like sleeping next to some girl who's next to him and like there's like this funny scene where she like takes the covers or like sleepwalks and all this other stuff like it's funny here and there because you know it's just jokes like that are just kind of amusing but as a whole it's just they already have so many miscommunications, which is normal. Don't get me wrong. It's normal to miscommunicate with with your significant... Like, in an anime show. Like, imagine miscommunication in an anime. That never happens. Never. But, like, 
I don't know. Like, I just, it just, oh, this show just angers me. Because there's obviously now a romantic love interest that's like trying to compete against the newly married wife woman that he literally knows nothing about but marries her. And then there's even this one point where one of the characters, like, Yushan's character is like, So are you going to have like a wedding? Did you get her a wedding room? And he's like, No, I didn't do any of that. That just seems like it's a lot of work. And then she's like, Mm-hmm. Well, from what you're saying, isn't it isn't like being married a lot of work? And he's like, oh, touche. <laughs> you're like, oh, okay, but it's fine because he just loves her for her looks. He got hit by a fucking truck because she was pretty. This man is supposed to be smart, and he tried to walk across the street with no crosswalk in the middle of winter in the dark to go talk to this girl, and then got hit by a truck. Now that we've effectively angered. The majority of our listeners by <laughs> burying these popular shows i think it's time to move on to our pun- punishment game yay so i would encourage my co-host to look into her heart and <laughs> see that it's definitely worse this episode yeah well there's a lot to talk about about how bad things are i have a good one for you that oh, i think no. um, is is pertinent to the episode and okay. i think it's one that I think you forgot to talk about. Okay. It is none other than Blue Spring Ride. Oh, my God. Now, now before you say that, I have an expert here. Oh. An expert review oh. on Blue Spring Ride. So this is our, our expert review by user, MAL user, Keichan. Oh, no. It's a review of Blue Spring Ride. Uh, with a rating of eight. An eight? That's not even that high. K-Chan wants to give you a little bit of uh, context. It's rare that I write a good review, but Blue Spring Ride deserves it. Blue Spring Ride is a breath of fresh air in a cliche-ridden shoujo genre, where it seems like half of shoujo anime are carbon copies of one another. Blue Spring Ride offers something new, interesting, and touching, with relatable but unique characters, great development, an interesting plot, and beautiful, unique art and music that tugs at your heart. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I feel bad. I just don't remember the show enough because I blocked it out of my mind to remember what happened. <laughs> maybe, maybe this will help jog your memory a little bit. Oh, boy. <laughs> the main heroine is the usual happy, cheerful type, but she has extra layers that make her complex, interesting, and unique. Futaba changes her appearance and attitude in order to fit in with her group of friends. She eats a lot, wears no makeup, and makes her hair messy so she won't look cute. Because in middle school, she was bullied by jealous girls due to the attention she received from men. Who can't relate to this? This desire to change yourself in order to fit in. The desire to have friends so badly that you even believe there's something wrong with you and you need to be different. Who can't relate to that? Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, I accept that. I can understand that completely. Wow. The story also makes a strong, and again, relatable, point that the friends you make when you change yourself and act like someone you aren't to fit in aren't real friends. Real friends love and accept you for who you are. The scene where Futaba is alone and starts crying, and Ko hugs her so old friends can't see her, see she is crying, and he tells her those aren't her real friends. That is one of the most touching scenes in anime. Huh, yeah, the, that's one of the most touching scenes ever, right? Yeah, the most touching scene. Oh. Probably top top five. That's why you remember it so well. <laughs> yeah, uh, completely. I don't Me? actually remember why I hated this show so much. 
<laughs> the anime is full of touching scenes that resonate in your soul. Oh my. She's thinking and teary-eyed, yet smiling. Oh yes, I cried the entire time. You probably just need to look deeper into your soul. I do. Find- I don't have enough of a soul left to look deep into. <laughs> Ko, for example, comes off as an arrogant, cheeky guy. Cheeky? He's actually, he's actually very sensitive and serious and closed off to the world. Wow, what a different type of character. Exactly. I've never seen one of those before. Futaba has to work to understand him, the pain he's been through. And we can all relate to Ko as well, who builds up walls to keep people out only to see who would care enough about him to break down those walls. His character's changes were also very realistic, and his pain was relatable. Lots of people experience what he did and react similarly. Blue Spring Ride may look like just another sweet school romance anime, but it has so many touching themes and ideas. It touches on the importance, sweetness, and pain of relationships, both romantic, familiar, and friendship ones and many other ideas that teenagers and everyone can relate to. It truly is wonderful, refreshing, and beautiful in every aspect. Yeah. My only complaint was, I guess the animation could have been better. But you just said it was good. I don't think you understand the nuance (laughs) what this expert is trying to communicate. I'm sorry, yes. um, You're right. It was good animation, but it could have been better. Beautiful and unique. show. Of course it's not going to be great. And not a carbon copy. No, not at all. There's not any show that has a girl who changes her appearance so she can fit in and a guy who's pretty aloof and has to be understood only by this one female character. That's definitely not any other series I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Nope. Not in the least. I honestly don't remember anything about the series. 10 out of 10 totally dropped out of my mind. I just just remember not liking it a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Well, I'm glad you've you've come around on it now that yeah. you've gotten a second opinion. You know, that second opinion really changed my view. I believe it has a 7.69. All right, let's wrap this up. Well, after that riveting review, thank you all for listening to this week's episode of Applied Anime. If you wish to tell us your favorite shows or shows that you guys hate that might be on our list, Feel free to tell us at anchor.fm slash applied-anime, or you can always follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash applied-anime, or you can leave comments below there too, and we'll do our best to read them. So, Fayon, what are we discussing next episode? In next week's episode, we're going to change it up a little bit and actually have a few guest speakers talk about their experiences in Japan. I personally have been there. Dodo hasn't, but we have two to three other people who have, and it'll be fun to kind of discuss the nuances of anime versus actually being there in real life. Thank you guys for listening to Applied Anime. This has been Feyon and Dodo Ballet signing off.